For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Nearsighted meaning what? Who's nearsighted? Nearsighted means looking so much at yourself that you're blind. That you're missing out. You're not seeing. You're so wrapped up in yourself at times that it says, if you don't have these qualities, you're so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In other words, you've forgotten that you're saved. You've forgotten that you're a child of God. You've forgotten the things that you stand for. You're not focused on these things at all. You're not focused on the Lord and what he's called you to. You're focused on what? Focused on yourself. So these things are our attributes that we want to have in our life. And that's why we're talking about kind of the name of the series then is habits. Habits are things that, that, that can be good and they can be bad. And, of course, these are clearly good habits and things that we need to have in our life. And so we're going to talk about virtue today. Virtue or, or excellence or, in, in reality, what we're talking about here is just this general sense of goodness. There's a difference here in this list. There's virtue is listed, and then godliness is also listed later on. So you kind of wonder, what is, what is the, the difference here? But, in, but what I believe virtue is talking about, what I believe this excellence is, it's this general sense of goodness. It's a, it's a very kind of catch-all word. And what I mean by that is this, is that we have this tendency when it comes to things that we want to parse things down and, and nitpick things. And if I'm going to uh, uh, be good, then I, I'm going to think through the lists of things that I have to do to be considered good. I have to uh, open the door for people. You know, I have to watch my, my language. I need to make sure I don't speed. I need to make sure you know, that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm giving, you need to make sure that, you know, whatever it is, you can think of these lists of things, can't you, that they might be different for you in some ways. I know that if I do these things, that, that I'm okay. I know if I do these, these things, that I'm all right. We have a tendency to kind of create these, these lists in our life. But, you know, this aspect of virtue is all-encompassing. It's very holistic. It's this aspect that, that the Lord has, has placed. It's interesting, and we're going to look at some scripture that explains this in a minute. He's placed some things within you that he knows that, that you should know is right and wrong. He has literally created and built within all of us this aspect of right and wrong. He's given all of us a conscience. Even people that don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior have a conscience. They have this understanding that something is right and something is wrong. And they, they may not attribute that to God, but it is God. It's His fingerprints, if you will, that are upon us because He's the one who made us, as it says in Genesis, in whose image? In His image. All mankind is created in the image of God. So if we were to have this general sense of virtue, here it is. Let's, let's look at a couple of verses. In, in James chapter 4, verse 17, it's a very interesting passage. It's another general 
statement. Because we, God knowing that we would kind of look at lists and look at individual things and use that as an opportunity to squeeze something else in that wasn't on the list, adds these scriptures. You ever, it says this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's not very specific at all, is it? Well, what do you mean by that? What's, what's the right thing? For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, and it says it's very personalized for him, for her, it's sin. It's, this, is, this aspect of virtue is kind of just God saying in this first part of this list, be good. What do you mean by that? Well, my spirit within you will tell you. You will know what I'm talking about. There's no escape. There's, there's no nitpicking. You know, I'm, I'm on a plan called Noom right now, and I'm, I'm trying to lose this way. As I said, I've lost 10 pounds. And what I'm doing right now is I'm counting all these calories, which can be tedious at times. And so when I'm looking at, and I kind of look at calories like money now. All right, how much money do I have to spend and what I can eat and, you know, this kind of thing. And no food is necessarily off limits, but it all costs, you know, and some of the stuff that I shouldn't eat all the time is really high in those numbers, as, as you're well aware. You know, but it, it could be very easy for me to try to kind of look for the loopholes in there, try to find a way around this. And if you've ever counted calories or used those kinds of apps, you'll type in like, you know, chicken or, or whatever the thing is, and it pops up and it lists different kinds of chicken. And then you start to see, well, um, I have, why do I have two listings for a pound of chicken? One says that the pound of, or, or the, not a pound, four ounces of chicken is, you know, 200 calories. Another one says that it's like 250. And, and what do you do at that point? Do you choose the one that says 200 or the one that says 250? If you're like me, you have this temptation to say, well, I'm going to choose the lower number so I can have more calories for something later on. Now, I have not been doing that. And that stinks that there's a little bit of those gray areas in those apps with different things. And it's not quite certain how many calories stuff, stuff is. But, you know, in general, I know that there are some things that I should eat and some things that I should not eat. I just know. It's just what? It's common what? Common sense. So that's what this virtue is, this general goodness is. It says, he that knows the good, and he doesn't do it for him, it's sin. You know, there are just some things that God says, look, this is, this is obvious. But are you practicing that? Or are you the nitpicker that just tries to weasel your way out, your spirit, if you will, your attitude is not in the right place to want to be virtuous, to want to be good. You just want to get by. But that's not what we're called to do. You know, there's, a, there's another passage, and you're going to find this a little out of order when you put this up back there on the computer. But in Mark chapter 10, let's look at this. This is another great example where Jesus deals with this personally. 
We see this story in Mark 10, and, it's, and Jesus says as he, was, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do you mean by being good? Tell me so I can get this nailed down. If I just have a list of whatever these things are and I can check those boxes, I know that I will be, place a stamp on me, label me good. But what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Which is kind of like, do you realize who you're talking to here, buddy? And Jesus says this, you know the commandments. And he kind of plays along with the lists, if you will, because God created one to begin with in the Old Testament, but it wasn't just about those ten things, okay? You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And as Jesus is saying these things, you kind of see there's this mental checklist. He's going, yep, haven't done that, haven't killed nobody, haven't done this, haven't done all right, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's kind of like he's, he's going through the lottery numbers. I've got 24. I've got 25. You know, but you've got to have them all to win. You know, I've got to get this list down, okay? Don't do all these things. I've got to follow my mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So he is just ready to congratulate himself, ready to pat himself on the back. And Jesus looking at him, I love this, loved him, that's key, before he says what he's about to say. He looked at him with compassion. He looked at him with love, with care and concern, because that's how Jesus looks at us, by the way. We talked about that last week when Daryl shared how God sees you, if we could just see ourselves that way. So God looks at him in love, but this is what he says to him. You lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, and then come, follow me. And it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I wonder, do you think that he knew before he went up to Jesus that he needed to do that? that money had a grip on his life, that money had a hold on him. But it's almost like he wanted to go up to Jesus and say, I just want to make sure that I'm okay the way that I am. I want to make sure, because I've done all these things. Here I am. Here it is. What do you think of this? That's good. That's good. That's good. You know, but he's almost, I would say, this is my interpretation, kind of holding out hope that he wouldn't have to deal with that thing. You know? I got a lot of money. I'll do anything but this. You know? For me, thinking about the, the diet paradigm here, it's like, all right, I can give up all these foods, but can I really give up pizza? Do I have to go through life never eating pizza again? Never eating burgers? Never eating, you know, whatever it is. You know, is, it, is there a way through this? And it's like, hello, Captain Obvious, you cannot just hoard your wealth. You cannot hold on to it. It cannot hold on to you. 
Jesus says, the one thing you lack, and Jesus knows, like Django, which thing to pull out. He knew instinctively that that thing needed to change. You know, it's almost like Jesus says, you know, there's some things you don't have to come to me and pray about. These things are obvious. The way that you live, this does and this does not belong. Things that you do, yes, you should obviously be nice. Yes, you should obviously be kind. Even people that don't know Jesus understand looking at Christians, looking at pastors, looking at leaders of churches, how they should act. It's pretty interesting. So there's, there's this aspect, again, with virtue of this general catch-all nature of being good. We can't try to go around it. We can't try to, quote, kind of work the system, if you will. To be good is to, to be virtuous. We have these, these lists of, of, well, these aspects, these standards that God has called us to live. We're, we're the ones that should be, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier, that are really kind of displaying what it means, what virtuousness looks like. The world should look at the church, should look at us as believers and say, that's what a good person looks like. We should be a display for all to see of what virtuousness is, what, what goodness is, and we're not trying to parse things out. We're trying to, to truly say, God, here we are. Allow me to be a good man. Allow me to be a good woman. When you ask yourself that, when you, when you, if you were to say, I, I want to be a good woman, I want to be a good man, automatically things kind of pop into your head, don't they? Of what that looks like, how that's described. And that's what, what we're seeing here in Second Peter, this aspect of being virtuous, this aspect of being good and, being, and having godly excellence. We should be the ones that are displaying this godliness, as I mentioned a moment ago, to the world. And I want to share a passage about that that I think is interesting that, that comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm not sure we've looked at this verse in some time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's a really interesting perspective. But it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. I'm going to read the rest in a moment, but this is, this is, this is alluding to a time that when a, uh, during the time of the Romans, where they would go out to battle and they would come back victorious, that as they were coming into town in victory, that there would be a certain kind of incense and aromas and things that would be just everywhere, coming into the city, coming into town when you were victorious. And there were certain scents like that that just kind of, it was, it was a scent, if you will, of victory. It was a scent of joy when you walked in. You know, that's, you knew what was, that this was a party, this is a celebration, this is, is victory. And it literally someone could not even have to go out onto the street to see the Roman emperor and come into town and know that the battle was won. And so with that as the backdrop, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are candles. We are, we are an aroma. We are a scent of God to the people that surround us. So we are a display of God, and we're also this aroma. We're the scent, if you will. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing. It means that, you know, when you, when you light, a, light a candle in a room, not only does it give light, but if you have those scented candles, that I'm, as I'm referring to here, what? It affects and it permeates the whole room. The question is, is that as we go throughout the week, are we lit up? Is the candle burning? You'll still be a scented candle, Right? But what do you do with those kind of candles? You walk into Yankee Candle or whatever in the mall, and sure, it smells good in there, but they hardly have any of the candles lit. What do you have to do? You have to pull off the cover, and you've got to get close and sniff it and say, yeah, I think this is one I want to take home. It's a difference between an unlit candle and a lit candle. We are the light of the world. That's interesting because... There's a passage in, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 15. I think I have it in there, David. I think you walked away from me. Let's turn to it in our Bibles here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 through 16. It says, you've seen this so many times, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We're not trying to hide it. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. What for? So that they may see your good works. They may see your virtuousness. They may see your goodness and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When people see us, when they experience the aroma of Christ within us, when they see the virtuousness that God has given us, they're, they're given cause to give praise to God. Even people that don't know God give Him glory at times, right? They say there's um, no, uh, what's the word, no atheists in foxholes, right? <laughs> you know, and, and that when they see a something good, they're, they're not everybody, but often they're happy to call it out because unfortunately in our world, there, there's good has to be called out because it's not everywhere, is it? There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of hurt. And to see something good happening is an amazing thing. So again, be reminded of First Peter, if we have virtue, we're going to talk about the other things in the future. If we have virtue in our life, it'll allow us to be productive. It'll allow us to, to move forward. It'll allow us to be 
the people that God is calling us to be. I guess the question is, is, you know, as we think about a candle that's unlit or it's lit, you know, what, what are you lit or unlit this morning? Did you think of it in the terms of progress? What, what direction are you heading? Are you, are you on the right road? Are you doing the things? Are you growing in the things that God wants you to grow in and to do? Or are you stagnant? Or even go in the opposite direction. There's a uh, illustration I want to leave you with here that that this diet plan thing that I'm I'm on uses, and I think it's a good illustration. Uh, picture this big elephant. Okay, big elephant. Elephants are strong. They're huge. There's really kind of nothing, if you will, that can stand in their way. And then picture the rider. There's a rider of this elephant. Okay. And so the, the thing is, is that we, we've, we've got this ability to do great things. But the, the, who's the one that's controlling the elephant? You know, the, the rider is the one that, that has to tell the, the elephant to go this way or to go that way. The rider is the one who's in control, not the elephant. The elephant many times is kind of our nature, to, which is so big, it just wants to go this way, it wants to go that way. But there has to be this sense of, of, of someone that's, that's in control in the sense of a diet. It's like, you know, the, ele- the elephant could take over and it's like, I don't care what the rider says, I am getting a hamburger. I am having that pizza dog on it, I don't care. And that's when the elephant takes over. But the rider, the one that's common sense, the one that, that is using knowledge and, and reason, says, no, that's really not where I want to head. That's not the direction I want to go. It has to pull the elephant under control and say, no, let's go this direction. What I'm trying to do, and I say this to you as a form of accountability as well, is I'm not trying to diet. I'm trying to change my habits. I'm trying to view food differently. I'm trying to change things that have been in my life, bad eating habits that I've had, you know, for 43 years of my life. That's a pretty large task. Because what I like to do is to just go to town. Food for me is joy. That's, if I get bored, I want to eat, you know. I want to try out the new restaurants. I like, I hope to say liked, buffets, you know. How much could I eat, you know. I'm going to make, get my money's worth and enjoy all this and be fat and happy. Problem is, I've realized being fat is not happiness for me. Very uncomfortable. And the point is, what do I really want? I don't want to just lose weight, gain it, lose weight, gain it. I want a complete change from here on forward. Because I don't want to be back in this place again. When it comes to our, our Christian life, 
we need that same perspective. You know, I, who's going to be in control, the elephant or the rider? Do you want to go back to things and back to places where you've been? Or do you really, what do you want more? If you really want to be a good woman, if you really want to be a good man, as you, as you consider your life and the decisions that you make, you need to weigh those things out. What's your, if you're going to be a good man, then you're going to hold on to virtue. You know, for my worn out illustration, I admit, of driving, if I'm going to be a good man, then I, I ride back and forth to work in peace without angst, without yelling to people inside my car. You know, I, I leave earlier to get to work. Yeah, amazing. If I were to do that, just some, one simple thing. If I would do those things, what do I want more? Do I want to be a good man? Do I want to be a godly man? Do I want peace? Or is the elephant just going to take over and, and break off here and there and, and just destroy the progress? See, the, the Christian life can't be a fad diet. Oh, I've strayed too far. Let's get on a new one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a, a new reading plan, and this will be the ticket. You know? Oh, this church wasn't doing it for me. I'm going to go find this other church. You know what? It's not the church. It's not the diet. What do you want the most? Do you want to be a good man? Do you want to be a good woman? If you do, God lays it out and says, these are the things you should do. All the little things, all the day-to-day -day things are leading somewhere. You know, I didn't balloon from 185 to like 230 overnight. It was a, it was a steady direction of eating lots of crap and bad habits in my life. And it's going to take me a while to get back to where I was. And it's not going to happen through fads. It's not going to happen overnight. But it is going to happen, I believe, with a change of mind, the change of perspective, with the, the, the mentality of, of, of listening to the rider instead of the elephant, if you will. We've heard this passage before. I've got two more and we'll be done today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Says I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Means that He's in control, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it says, "Do not be conformed to this world." Isn't that what's really happening? The world says this is the way to live. When it comes to food, the world says this is the way to live. You know how hard it is to try to eat healthy when you eat out? Because the world's trying to push all the things we really don't need at us. The things that are cool and are advertised on, on TV are usually not healthy foods, are they? It's KFC, it's Domino's, you know, it's very, and once in a while you get a little eat fresh in there from Subway, you know, but even that's not necessarily healthy. The world pushes those things. People push those things. Ah, oh, you deserve it. You, you know, that's, that's what we hear. Do not be conformed to this world. What does the world say for the spiritual things? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. 
No one cares. Do what you want to do. Have what you want to have. And you could. And then you realize how it breaks apart your life. How unhealthy it is to you spiritually. How your, how your candle is not lit. How you are not the aroma of Christ to others. So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, this is key, by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's, there's, a, there's a thing that changes, there's a, a thought change that goes on in your head where you realize when you start to get past the fad diet and realize this is about my life, this is about the long term. This is not about just what I want right now. This is about what I really want. This is my big why kind of question. When we, when we, when we see that, when we hold on to that, there are, the way of thinking changes. When we realize that we want Christ more than we want ourselves. That, remember that nearsightedness that's caused us to be blind. When we, when we realize what we truly want, if we really want to be a good man, if we really want to be a good woman, that we start thinking differently. And when the times of, of testing comes, because your mind's been changed, you do the right things. You know, I was... Diane has a completely different body type than me, but I knew that things were changing when we went out to have dinner a couple weeks ago, and I got salad or something healthy, and she asked me, which was nice, she said, is it okay if I, this is these little small pizza things, you can get a little thin crust pizza, is it okay if I get this, is that going to bother you? And I honestly and truthfully said, no, it won't, and it didn't. I didn't try to nibble on it, wasn't tempted by it, because my mindset had changed. I'm looking ahead to where I need to be. And there will be those times that of, of, of testing, those times of trial for a reason, okay? They make you stronger. They make you really think about what God's called you to do. When it comes to the spiritual side of things, when you consider what's really important, how do you... This, this is, there's a biblical word for this. It's called sanctification, okay? This aspect of things being chipped away and changed within us. How do we get to be that good man? How do we get to be that good woman? First of all, we're, we are, I'm not talking about salvation. We're saved. But God still continues to mold us and to shape us. But how do we get to look like that? It's day by day having our mind transformed and really thinking about if that's what I want, when I step into that car today, things will be different. You know, when I consider um, these different areas of our lives that, that trip us up, it's going to be different. I'm not going to make that decision because I want to honor, I don't want to glorify Christ. The real question that it boils down to, and here's the last verse, as I promised, comes out of Luke 9.23, and I don't think it's in there. But Luke 9.23 9.23 is very familiar. I want you to turn there or look at it. Just get it in front of you. 
just something about having it in your hands. And some of you probably have it memorized. What this really boils down to is that think about the guy that Jesus talked to. Hey, Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus pointed out something in his life. It was really, really hard. He was not willing to give up, and he walked away. There are things in our life, there's a mentality we need to have in our life that we're willing to sacrifice we're willing to walk away from things, to leave things behind, or to bring new things into our life that, that it's not easy to do. And that rub will always be there. I don't, I don't want to go through that. Or I don't want to deal with that. Are you willing to endure hardship to have virtue? Are you willing to do hard things to be good, to be virtuous, to have this attribute? If you were the man that went before Jesus and shared these things, he said, ah, but you got to do this. What would your reply be? And we're, you know, clearly, I know, I know you well enough in this room, we, we don't have the riches that he had. But even with what we have, would we be willing to give up everything? To sell it and give it all to the poor? Because all the questions are like, well, but, 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 what do I do? What, you know, how do I live? How do I? Are you willing to endure hardship to have virtue? And here's Luke 9, 23. Jesus is speaking and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a huge element of sacrifice there. And it's a sacrifice on a daily basis. And he says this, and it's so counterintuitive, but you have to trust him. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're trying to do it yourself, trying to do things your own way, but that's what this guy did. The guy said, well, Jesus, I need this money. I can't sell this and give this to the poor. He took things into his own hands. He was trying to save his own life. I've got to hold on to this because... If I don't hold on to this, I'm not going to make it, Jesus. And it could be money. It could be anything, really, that gets in the way of Jesus that we try to hold on to, to save our own life, to take things into our hands, to control things. But Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But... Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Doesn't make sense to us. It's not what we're told in the world. The world says you take care of yourself. And you have backup plans for that. 
and backup plans for that. We're not just talking about money. But if you're willing to give it all away, you have to trust in Him. You have to trust that He's in charge. You have to trust that things, because of Him, are going to be okay. There's a great quote from, I believe it's from Jim Elliott, a missionary. And he says, to him it made sense. He said, I... I gave up what I could not keep to gain what I could not lose. The guy that walked away from Jesus, you know, he couldn't keep that money. He wasn't going to have that for eternity. And to hold on to that thing, when you think of the end goal, where did it, where did it get him? There are things we hold on to in our life that, that does not truly bring us happiness. It does not truly bring us joy. In a silly nature, for me, wanting to hold on to fattening foods does not lead to where I want to be. I felt bloated and uncomfortable, tired of not being able to bend over and tie my shoes, having you know trouble breathing, not being able to wear half of my clothes and Blah, 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 you fill in the blank. So the health benefits, having family members that have diabetes. How bad, when you think of that, what's the point of that? Why would I try to hang on to those things? We do that all the time, don't we? We try to hold on to things that are not beneficial for us, that are not good for us. The question is, do we really want to hold on to what's good? Do we really want to latch on to this first attribute we've, we're talking in this series, to virtue? Do you want to be a good man? Do you want to be a good woman? Do you want to be the aroma of Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray, thinking of that example of the candle, Lord, that you would light us up. That you'd stir a fire within us to be the people you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would transform us, Lord, from the inside out. That you would transform our way of thinking. Lord, that our instinct would not be to take control, but our instinct would be to give you control. Lord, give us virtue. Lord, help us to shine brightly for you. Let us be an example to the world of you, of your representatives, of your people, of your children. We love you. We thank you so much for this morning together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.